Welcome to episode 3 of the Ziad Parker Show. Firstly, Ramadan Kareem to everybody around the world and I hope that everybody has a blessed month ahead. So today we are back with the Inspire series and it's the second installment and I'm very excited to, to announce that I have Chad Gravenhorst on as a guest this week. Chad is a good friend of mine and colleague and Chad is from Cape Town, South Africa, where he works as a registered biokineticist in private practice. But more exciting is the fact that Chad also is a full-time consultant for Major League Baseball. Now, Chad's consultancy with Major League Baseball encompasses all the areas, uh, including strength and conditioning, coach education and development, talent ID and support and so on. And during our conversation, Chad and I are going to be talking about his journey from picking up baseball as a youngster to working full-time for the biggest baseball organization in the world. Before we get there, though, it's going to be the Cine 400. Hi Chad, how's it going, man? I'm good, Z. Good to see you. Yeah, nice to see you as well, man. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and making some time for us. Um, I wanted to get you on one of the first episodes. That was my goal because you were one of the first people that I met in the in the fitness industry when I started working, or the sports industry rather. Um, what are you doing now at the moment while you're in quarantine? You are you keeping busy? Firstly, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on your on your show. You finally answered your your calling. <laughs> Been saying for years that uh, this is where this is the thing you should be doing, and uh, I'm, I'm proud of what you're doing, and I'm uh, I wish you the best with this venture. So, um, awesome. awesome job. Uh, for me, during the during the quarantine, you know, every every challenge I guess presents a different opportunity. For me, I saw it as a as much as an obstacle as it is for us to be shut down from daily life, um, what is important was it's a, it's a cool chance to really do some self-evaluating, kind of see yeah. where you're at and catch your breath, I guess, because we, we live in such a fast-paced life these days where you, know, you don't have time for, you know, to check simple things. Yeah. Um, with things we take for granted. So for now, it's been an opportunity to just, hey, how can I, you know, put myself in a position to, come out of this you know in a better way moving forward and whether that be from offering a better service to upskilling yourself to you know maybe just uh getting organized again yeah uh, so for me it's been an opportunity to dive into the articles again get some cpd points for the next couple of years <laughs> yeah. under my belt That's <laughs> and, and then uh and then luckily a lot of my work is done for my computer so you know i i have two jobs that I'm kind of juggling. Yeah. And so for me, it's one of which is on US time. So living in Africa, it gives me the balance of being able to do local things in the morning. Um, yeah. And then sort of the afternoon here lets me dive into, you know, my portfolio for, you know, my work from my computer. So been trying to stay productive and uh, yeah. making the most of each day. So can't really look too far ahead because we got to do our part to overcome this. 
Exactly. I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We just have to stay prepared. And I like that you mentioned this is a good opportunity for self-reflection and, and to look and see how you can improve yourself uh, going forward. And I think that the world moves so fast, we never get this time to just press pause and, and take stock of everything. So, you know, that spin that you put on it, it makes so much sense that it's a you know great opportunity for us just to, to slow down, take a look and see how we can improve uh, going forward. So, I noticed you mentioned that uh, some of the work you're doing is is on U.S. time. So can you tell us a bit more about your, your role with MLB Africa at the moment? Yeah, sure. Um, it's kind of evolved from, from me being entered into the picture with, with MLB from a sports science background, you know, as a, as a trainer or as a strength and conditioning coach, uh, starting by doing things like warm-ups and stretches, to now being able to be more involved in the kind of the player and coach development side of baseball operations. So for me, a lot of what I do is um, admin based, a lot of planning, a lot of preparation around how do we, you know, how we extract the most out of a very challenging environment um, yeah. like Africa, where we don't have the resources to be able to necessarily have a environment for a baseball player to thrive. You know, how do we extract the most out of the, the tools and, and talent on show? Yeah. So a lot of it's um, how do we you know, equip, equip the coaches with the necessary skills. We plow a lot of resources and energy into developing content for for coaches on different levels. So we do a lot yeah. of coach education, uh, which obviously, as you know, in, in your line of work, um, takes a lot of time um, preparing content and manuals. And so I do a lot of that from my from my computer. And then obviously on the player side of things, I plan practice schedules periodization models for you know their health and well-being and aside from that try and give the 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 best talent and opportunity to be showcased so we do that in the form of you know preparing video and scouting packages on each kid um, that forms part of our elite development program and we try and get them set up so that they have a pathway to at the very least have an opportunity to be exposed to overseas programs, whether that be to go to camps or um, tournaments. Yeah. For us, it's also important to then get as many kids to college as we can out of Africa. Yeah. So it's no, pretty it sounds... detailed, but uh, keeps me keeps me busy. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, so obviously the the question here now is, how did this guy from Grassy Park in Cape Town, South Africa, get to work with MLB? Because that's something I'm, I'm trying to, to make the connection here. So how did that come about? Yeah, man, that's, uh, that's something I pinch myself about <laughs> every day. Um, maybe just to, just to backtrack for a second. Uh, I don't think I've ever shared the story with you before, but how I actually got involved with baseball is a, it's a, it's a strange thing. You know, we've always been about uh, swag and looking cool and you know, having nice clothing and, and shoes and all of those things and, you know, kind of, kind of looking the part. So yeah. my mom caught on to this when I was like six or seven years old. Um, I must have either been the, the the best kid around, or I must have been the most annoying child to have around the household because she was determined to keep me busy year round. And so yeah. for me, um, you know, instead of playing Wimbledon out in the street or WWE on the lawn <laughs> or bicycle motocross yeah. outside on the gravel, falling and breaking yourself into a million pieces. My mom wanted me to be involved in organized sport, um, soft 
school was going to take up the naturally from where I grew up and my grandfather being, uh, you know, the kind of the life president of the local sports club there. Yeah. Um, soccer was going to be the default for winter. And so my mom must have been, been so fed up with me sitting at home during the summertime that she brought home a baseball uniform. <laughs> and she said, listen, she said, listen, how cool would this be, you know, for you to wear this outfit? And lo and behold, actually, that was where my love love affair with the sport started. Uh, putting the uniform on for the first time, and uh, unknowingly, it's been, you know, it's it's a love affair that continues to this day with the with the sports. So I started as a player first of all, yeah, and then kind of working my way uh, through my studies and going to school. Played different sports, dabbled here and there. Played yeah. organized baseball from the age of six through till, you know, when I got to university. So you yeah. kind of make, you know, provincial teams and, you know, play at national level, just bounce your way through. Um, but at the forefront is a love for sport. Yeah. You know, it was something that was always just, always is there. And generally when you start having success in one area, you tend to stick with that, ride that hot hand and, you know, yeah. try and uh, make something of it. Yeah. And so for me, I pretty, I, I was always a student of the game and I, I loved um, the game more than playing the game if that makes any sense yeah. and so you know I got to a crossroads at university level where I figured you know what I'm not going to play professional baseball um, but it doesn't mean that you know I can't you know pursue a future maybe on the on the other side of the lines but yeah. at that point you know when I got to university it was just kind of like no way forward anymore for, for me in terms of my playing days which meant that reality kind of set in as yeah. to you know, what, what do we do now? You know, do we, do we go to college? Do we go to university? What do we do? And for me, a big part of that was uh, a different passion of mine was I wanted to be an Air Force pilot. I've okay. always been a guy that was involved in, you know, like I like structure, I like uh, maybe not the military, but at the same time, you know, that, that kind of lifestyle and, you know, grooming you know, an individual to be the best version of themselves. Yeah. Uh, to prepare yourself for life after that. You know, I thought that was for me. And this just shows how naive I was because I went through a patch when I saw playing baseball where I struggled. I was one of the most promising junior players. Yeah. And by the time I got to my late teens, I couldn't hit the ball to <laughs> save my life. And no one, no one put two and two together. And, and as you can see now, I, I wear... I wear prescription glasses all the time. Yeah. Um, and this was how naive I was going into, you know, trying to try out for the Air Force was I didn't even know I had a problem with my eyes. Okay. And so for me, I didn't, I didn't uh, pass the entrance, um, you know, kind of exam criteria yeah, because I yeah. failed the eye test. And then the second part of that was I didn't even apply to university. And so <laughs> when one door, when one door closed, the window kind of was left slightly ajar for me to to dive right through uh in that my my other passion is obviously sport and so yeah. by default um it's not in our dna um you know we cut from the same cloth you and i to sit around and wait for something to happen yeah so uh, I one year of you know one year of trying out um in a different industry or one year trying out in a different field of study might yeah you know won't, won't be to my detriment and so what I did was, uh, thankfully, UWC is where I ended up um, post high school was was willing to take a late, very, very late application. 
Uh, they made some some calls to my high school to just assess the integrity of my application and yeah. you know kind of do like a little bit of an evaluation of what type of person is this that we're potentially giving a chance to. Uh, um, and I don't know if you can remember Mr. Kloppers from from UWC yeah, early that, days. Of, he was running the dates me, there. I think. Yeah, <laughs> no, he he was quite a funny guy. I think he was on his way out by the time I arrived. Yeah. And I remember leaving his office when they when they said they'd give me a chance to you know, to enter the sports science program, undergraduate program. Um, I said to him, you won't be sorry. You know, you won't be sorry. You'll, um, I'll, I'll repay you with the, you know, the faith that you've had in me. And so I guess one thing just led to another, but that's how kind of it, it all started for me in yeah. terms of the direction towards the sports science side of it. Yeah. A couple of interesting things there for me. Um, I did not know that uh, story that you shared, obviously, but it makes a lot of sense because, you're a guy that you would never see dead in the shorts. You never, ever wear shorts. So I can, <laughs> I can now see where that came from because the baseball uniform, it's a long pants. So, you know, you like your style. And <laughs> I reckon that's why you're also quite interested in the Air Force because of the uniform. You know, the, uh, the pilot, or the Air Force pilot always looks on point. So uh, you were drawn to the style uh, factor over there, which is quite interesting. I think baseball is the only sport where you wear a, a pants and a belt while you play. Yeah. I can't think of any other Absolutely. sport where, where that is an option. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I mean, quite interesting that obviously you fell into, into sports science and then with your love of baseball, obviously getting involved with MLB uh, Africa and then obviously taking it further by traveling to the States and Europe and so on. But before we, we get there, just, you know, baseball isn't a sport that's associated with South Africa by the broader public, you know, it's soccer, it's rugby, it's cricket, athletics to some degree. But baseball isn't something that people look at South Africa and say, you know what, wow, that, that's where all the, the baseball players are or the next, you know, talents are going to come from South Africa. So what was it like growing up playing a sport that you could say would fall in the minority? Look, it was a, it's a double-edged sword in a way. You know, for us it was... Uh, very kind of like small or sparse numbers relative to the sports that you've mentioned. So the pathway was almost accelerated in terms of you being able to hit the ceiling. Yeah. So for instance, you know, you could be, you know, saturated with thousands of players, you know, playing rugby or cricket. And some of the best or the most talented players never get that opportunity to, yeah. to compete at a higher level. Whereas with baseball, you know, if you, had two legs and two arms and, you know, you could, you know, sort of look like you knew what you were doing. You, you, you had a, at least a, a look in. Yeah. And so for me, I think what accelerated everything was, you know, when they had competitive provincial competitions from a very early age, I think the first provincial team I made, I was like a nine-year-old or something. And so when you get that level of success, you start winning national championships with your team. Yeah. You know, you, can, you tend to just bold on that and, and, and you kind of, steer towards that so playing the game it was you know you it was a regular occurrence for people to kind of lift their eyebrows or frown at you when you mentioned even um the likelihood of there being that sport you know being played in our in our society and in within yeah. the communities and it was it would surprise a lot of people um but i think at the core of everything else was just this love for the game where it was just like you know it didn't matter that people didn't really know about it that's our responsibility then to to make people aware that it yeah. does exist and yeah. try and encourage, try and encourage better athletes to play the game. 
so that we're not getting the you know C D E F category yeah, yeah. athletes that run off from the other sports. Yeah, um, we actually want to grow the sport and have um, you know people understand that there are opportunities through the game. Which you know back then in everyone's defense there weren't many. Yeah. And so because there weren't opportunities, everybody's like, "Hey, you're wasting your time." Um, but you know, for the for the few baseball players around that were that were playing, I think we only to this day have uh, a couple of thousand registered players um, countrywide. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a fraternity where we didn't really care about what other people were saying. It just, yeah. You know, it was actually pretty cool to be to be involved. Yeah. Now it sounds like a quite a, a tight knit group, and I mean, if there aren't many that many people playing, obviously everybody uh, knows everybody. But I think just for me personally, it's great to see that that somebody who had a passion for the sport growing up is now contributing to making the sport more accessible to people and showing you know youngsters in South Africa and in the rest of Africa for that matter that there is actually a pathway out of Africa if you want to play baseball. Yes, it's difficult. And it's not going to be easy, but there is a way that if you are really good and you really, you know, love the sport, that there is a pathway for you to reach higher honors, be it going to play over in Europe or getting into the, you know, the MLB system, minor leagues or wherever it is. But even the college system, there is a pathway. So well done on, yeah. on being part of that. And obviously, there are a lot of other guys that uh, that have done, you know, work before you and Hopefully, we'll continue to do the work after you. So, speaking of um, baseball, just uh, to take it back a little bit here. So, just for for everybody who, who doesn't know that you and I met at the Sports Science Institute, right? So, yeah. after you finished your your studies at UWC or whatever, you went to the Sports Science Institute. Yeah. So yeah, we met at, at CISA, which is uh, what it's known by uh, to most people. Uh, we, when I got to CISA as an intern, you were actually assigned to be my mentor. So we had never met. Yeah. I mean, we both attended UWC, but I don't think we actually met at UWC, maybe in passing or whatever the case is. But so coming to, to, you know, coming to the Sports Science Institute as an intern in the fitness center where you were, were working full-time at, at that time, I was assigned to you as uh, you were my mentor. So you were meant to show me the ropes and, you know, take me through my, uh, my rookie period, as, you, as you'd say. And yeah. personally, and uh, hopefully uh, you feel the same way, but I think we hit it off immediately. There was just something about the way that you went about your business. It was quite structured. You were very thorough. And it was easy for me to learn from you because your processes were quite, quite clear. And then obviously we both worked in the high performance center as well. I started my internship there. You had done an internship there before. And because you were a baseball player and well-versed within that sport, you ended up getting any baseball work that the Sports Science Institute got. And you and I then were put together on a baseball camp and we had to fly out to Boxburg. And that was in the first, probably first month or two of my internship. And I think that's where we really, you know, our relationship was probably cemented. And I don't think we've ever looked back since. So that was my first exposure to baseball in South Africa. I didn't know that people played baseball in South Africa, really. I mean, I've driven past the field a million times in Athlone, but I never actually registered that there was actual baseball being played there. 
and you introduced me to the game. And I must say that uh, I'm thankful to you for that because I love the game. I mean, I follow it now religiously and I'm quite upset, obviously, that there was no opening day. You know, Clayton Kershaw yeah, doesn't yeah, have many opening days left. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I don't feel a bit deprived um, about that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's been an awesome journey so far. And if we can just narrow down on that high performance camp, because that was um, part of your transition from finishing off with your playing and going into a more work focus with, with the sport of baseball. For sure, yeah. Thanks for saying all those things, E. Um, it, um, you know, it's a special memory. Um, just before I dive into the camp itself, um, you know, our mentor, our father figure there at the High Performance Center, both when I did my internship and then obviously when, when you came a couple yeah. of years later, I think, um, was that, you know, Justin Durant for us, you know, I asked him retrospectively, you know, what the thought process was that, you know, behind recruiting me because one thing I might not have ever told you was, and I, I know you've met my sister, but I have an older sister who was also, you know, had studied sports science and had done yeah. an internship at the Sports Science Institute. You know, she had a big influence over a lot of my choices just based on experience and, you know, playing the numbers. And yeah. so, you know, when you go through the interview process of wanting to be, you know, an intern at the Institute, it's quite a stringent process. You both have the individual interview as well as the group interview. Yeah. And I felt that I, I know I made a, aside from, you know, putting up a good showing on, you know, during the interview process, I, at the end of the day, you know, you have to order your preference as a 50-50 between the high performance center and the fitness center proper, um, just yeah. to keep my, um, keep my options open. And so anyway, I, you know, Justin still went ahead and offered me a high performance center internship, um, which I then retrospectively asked him, why was it that you hired me? And he said, you know, of all my years having been here at the Institute, I've never had a CV come forward that had anything to do with baseball on it. <laughs> and it must be the, the, the exercise gods that were playing in our favor then. Because what had happened was just a few months before I started my internship, Justin kind of signed a deal with the South African Baseball Federation to be the yeah. service provider that their program might require. And yeah, all kind of aligned perfectly for you know, for him to recruit somebody that had a baseball background. So that camp for me, um, that was the first of a series of camps that, you know, the Science Institute kind of oversaw the running to. And it was from the scientific side, obviously the testing and profiling of all the players just to kind of give them an idea as to where the program was at and, yeah. you know, kind of attack the weaknesses so that you had the best athlete available to be able to, you know, execute the skills for the sport. So when you and I went over there and went to do that, you know, Justin really trusted us because I think yeah. a lot of the time Justin himself, he would go on, he would be the anchor for, you know, those, those kind of trips. And so number one, it was good. But number two, it was also scary in the sense that, you know, generally when it's the smaller sporting codes that they don't really think too much of, you know, you don't want to be thought of as like, oh, we're just going to throw whoever at this project. Yeah. You know, so for us, it was a, it was a great opportunity for us to go there and, and showcase what, both, you know, you and I yeah. do as individuals, but also, you know, to show that maybe the smaller codes do need a little bit of love. Obviously, they had a personal link with me and my my yeah. my history. They've had you there, and I think if you recall, it was it was cold as balls when we were there. <laughs> I think we were we were using a we were using a clicks card to you know get the ice off the 
Yeah. Of the windshield. The, the, thing, the windshield's morning. frosted yeah, up. It was, yeah, yeah. It was, that was, you know, quite nerve-wracking for me because obviously when you're renting vehicles on someone else's <laughs> name, someone else's credit card, last thing yeah. you want to do is return a vehicle with a shattered windscreen. Yeah. Um, but anyway, long, uh, th- that aside, I'm digressing. That was quite a fun memory to, to go take on that camp. I think we did it in Johannesburg on the basis that the continental climate allowed for, you know, the weather to be pretty good in the winter time. I think it would have just been, it wasn't right at the beginning of the year. I think it was probably like April, May when the yeah, weather started, the temperature started dropping. Mm. So anyway, um, that was a good experience for us. So I, I think, uh, you know, where we were blessed and it was very easy for me to be your mentor, not only because you're very learned, but, you know, for you, you're very, you know, you adapt to, you adapt to whatever gets thrown at you. For us, we cut from the same cloth. It's like, you know, if you, if you can't adapt in this industry, it's, uh, you know, it's the wrong industry for you. Yeah. And so for us, you know, you, uh, you just got it. Uh, a thing that was really easy for me on the mentoring side was that I had great mentors. Um, yeah. So it made it very easy for me to share. I think we did a, we, we did a really good job with, um, you know, making a good impression on, I think, when we talked to someone. They still recall, you know, those camps where we went. Yeah. You know, we did our thing. So, you know, for you and I, I think it was a unique experience to go and, you know, bring a scientific element to a very, you know, very professional environment um, from our side, where we're coming from and our background, into diving into one of the most amateur of sports. Um, You know, I think it went a long way to helping both of us grow because we could see that, you know, every way you you can apply, you can apply science and logic and, um, you know, a little bit of savvy to, to any kind of situation and be successful. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty pretty awesome experience. Yeah, we had to we had to sometimes get a bit creative because obviously working in a a sport that isn't as big as the, the traditional ones, you don't always have access to to the right facilities or whatever the case is. So you have to adapt and improvise to make sure that you you can still reach your goals. And it's very important that you mention our mentors. Obviously, at the time we were we were very fortunate to be exposed to people who have lots of experience, who are quite learned and and quite, you know, experience within the the sports science industry. And I mean, that's what made it easy, I think, is like you said, your mentors made it easy for you. And just coming into that environment, it was one in which you were challenged always and you were held to a high standard. I mean, I was chatting to, to our friend Wayne Lombard about this the other day. It's that coming up in that environment, we were never, we never settled for second best. We were always try to do the best uh, to the best of our abilities and do the best work we could because we were held to such a, a high standard and there was always accountability. And obviously that started with the, the manager was Justin Durant at the time and he set the tone for, for what was expected and the, the level of service that we were going to deliver wherever it is that we went. So yeah, 100% uh, correct. We were very, very fortunate to be in that environment and you know, it's interesting you say cut from the, the same cloth. We both went to UWC, so we, we studied the same programs. You know, we both did biokinetics as a as a honors and then kind of diverged a little bit when, you know, studied a bit further. But I think those experiences obviously being thrown in the deep end, that's when you learn. You learn so much by actually doing. There was nobody there to hold our hands, you know. We were like, you're getting on a plane, going to Boxburg, you're driving these big vans, you're transporting people, you just need to do it, get it done, figure out what the best way to do it and you just go about it and that's how you learn. I mean, 
Yes, we made For mistakes. Sure. <laughs> we definitely made mistakes. <laughs> I recall uh, a very interesting vertical jump situation. But, uh, you Absolutely. know, we still, we still found our way, you know, around it. And for, for you, you know, those baseball camps were the start. And if we just fast forward a little bit with those uh, baseball camps, where, you know, where did those baseball camps take you? And, uh, you know, how did that link you into the MLB uh, Africa? Yeah, fair enough. I think um, just one quick comment on, you know, on, on the Institute itself and, and how it kind of groomed us. I think, you know, it just demanded more. The brand yeah. demanded more. It demanded excellence. And I think for us that, you know, came through that environment, that was the only way. There wasn't a, you know, a second option. And, you know, mm. we could meet guys' names, you know, a list as long as our arm, you know, to, to give credit to for that. But yeah. if there's one thing I can say is that, you know, in the face of whatever got thrown at us anywhere in the country, you know, you you basically armed with whatever you can carry onto a plane um, in terms of your cargo. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's not in that box, if it's not in that box and it's not available there, you got to make it work somewhat. Yeah. You're not going back to, you know, to Justin or to the Institute with without, uh, you know, the necessary information that you were set out to go and collect. Um, yeah. So that was quite a interesting at times. But if there's one comment I can make about that was, the best part of anyone that we'd worked with, whether it be Justin, whether it be, you know, any other our colleagues, Jacques, um, you know, you mentioned Wayne, uh, Johan, those guys, uh, was that calmness at which they addressed a state of panic with, yeah. you know, and I think without, without knowing, without knowing that, you know, that would be something that was going to be setting us up for our lives away from CISA one day, I think in, if anything, the level of experience that we gained there was invaluable, you know, yeah. to our growth now. Yeah. I think that was pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly grateful that we had some really cool guys to learn from. But to answer your question, um, pertaining to my journey to MLB, I think it just all started from those camps. I think if we fast forward, um, Major League Baseball have had an influence over African baseball since probably early 2000s. Yeah. And so when I my internship it was 2009 which meant that we were almost obviously a decade into MLB having some kind of an idea of what happens in Africa and how best they can strategically place themselves so yeah. what they conceptualized was a African elite camp um, for the, the, the best 40 or, or so players from around the continent so what they would do is and, and I had a mentor on the baseball side Mr. Mike Randall if you remember Evergreen yeah. Mike um, Mike was doing this kind of work when I was playing peewee baseball. Okay. You know, when I was playing T-ball, Mike was the guy that was already in the role that I'm in now. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, that was, that's a good 20 years worth of work that he, that he put in. And so for me, uh, um, MLB developed this camp and Mike would go around flying around the continent, trying to go and scout the best talents available so that he could put forward the top 40 kids that would come together for a two week long camp in December of every year, starting in uh, 2010. Yeah. Now, based on the infrastructure in South Africa, it lent itself to being the host for these camps, just because number one, it's a most stable environment. And it's probably the safest place to travel to with respect to those other countries. Um, a lot of moving parts when you, you know, when you, when you don't have a presence in a country, it's very difficult to go and set up a, you know, a, a top class event. Yeah. So because we had the infrastructure down here, or at least the best infrastructure in the African context, 
those elite camps started in 2010. So just to fast forward, I'd already finished my internship with Justin by the time that first camp came along. And so when you reference that, when there were baseball opportunities, Justin would kind of just phone a friend and rope me back in, even though I wasn't full-time in his department yeah. anymore, um, beyond 2009. Um, that was kind of my, my little baseball fix because that baseball ship was sailing for me. You know, it was, was kind of like, you know, uh, almost a pipe dream to, to a certain extent where it was just never yeah. going to happen. And I had to kind of focus on a career away from, from baseball. So I would get my fix by doing my sports science work all year round and then having that MLB camp just to put that yeah. cherry on top. So anyway, um, I did it in 20, Justin had me uh, come on board, uh, 2010, 2011, uh, 2012, just for that camp, literally just go and, you know, provide support to the, to the camp because, you know, you know, the people and, you know, it's not going to cost us much money and, you know, we don't have to burn a lot of resources, you know, go and provide yeah. some support. Anyway, 2013 was the game changer for me. Um, what I, what I failed to mention was 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, every year Major League Baseball's ambassador program would send down a professional to come and speak to the kids and motivate them. So yeah. it started with guys of the likes like Curtis. Curtis Grandison came the first time out. Yeah. Um, he'd signed a big deal like around 2010. I can't remember exactly what the figures were, but he'd signed a big deal. The following year was like a CJ Wilson left-handed pitcher. Yeah. Um, you know, we had the likes of Chris Archer. Um, okay. But for me... For me, the, the, the game changer was 2013. It was a camp in Durban. I almost had a big Justin to allow me to go on to this yeah. camp. Because by then, we kind of like had a dwindling relationship with the Federation. Didn't have much money. And, yeah. you know, a lot of it was like, listen, can you help us out? And, you know, it wasn't going to cost Justin. It was going to cost Justin more than he would kind of make. But, you know, after some persuasion, um, he, he allowed me to go to the 2013 edition of the camp in Durban. Yeah, And just to fast forward through this, um, Mark Melanson was the ambassador that came over. Yeah. Now, just a quick quick side note on Mark Melanson. He was leaving um, his home in Houston to come over to, with a very pregnant wife, to come over to Durban for the camp. Yeah. And at the airport in Houston, he realized that he'd forgotten his reading material at home. He's a, he's a big biography reader. And one of the books that he had was David Epstein's um, Sports Gene. Okay. Sports gene, and he'd forgotten it on the, you know, on his dresser at home. And so, when he got to the airport, he said to his, um, you know, his sister-in-law, "Hey, just run to the bookstore, see if you can get me, you know, get me something. If you can get me this particular book, awesome." Anyway, she managed to get a copy of this book, and lo and behold, he's reading this book on the plane where Dr. Ross Tucker, who we know as well from our days at the institute. Yeah. He worked closely with David Epstein and there's a connection to the Sports Science Institute that's referenced in this book. Okay. And so Mark yeah. on the plane over to Durban is like, he reaches out to Jason, who was our international ops manager at the time in London, the London office. He said, Jason, I need to get to this Sports Institute. Um, and Jason says to him, but listen, guy, this is in, this is in Cape Town and, and you're going to Durban. He's like, well, we're going to have to make a plan to get me to Cape Town because I want to go to this place. Yeah. And so Jason just had some kind of a brainwave and he realized that I was going to be there. And obviously my background is from the Sports Science Institute. And so that's where the link came with Mark in the sense that when Mark arrived, I was immediately introduced to him as the sports science guy <laughs> yeah. uh, that you need to kind of have, that you need to kind of have lunch with so that, uh, 
you know, he can tell you whether it's worth your while to go down there and yeah. you, know, you might get your fix from just having a conversation with him. Anyway, long story short, Mark is my age. You know, uh, he looks like 10 years older <laughs> and not, not in a, not in a maturity standpoint. He just, he just, uh, he's just a specimen of an athlete. Yeah. So, you know, he just, Amer- Americans just look bigger and older. Um, and we hit it off. We had a lot in common. And one of the things that, you know, Mark had made up his mind about it was that he was definitely coming to Cape Town, even if it was just for a weekend. Um, and so even though I tried to talk him out of coming to the Institute, because at the time, as you know, in December, everything's pretty much shut down. Yeah. I didn't want him to wait, waste his time because there was nothing for him to really see. No teams were coming for testing. Labs mm. were closed. Classrooms yeah. were kind of shut down. Anyway, long story short, he came down to Cape Town and we just had a ball of a time as basically as mates for the weekend. We yeah. didn't go near the Institute. Uh, we kind of just struggle for friendship and, and it's going to be a lifelong friendship for the two of us. And obviously something that God willing one day I can tell my grandkids about because yeah. you know, he's gone on to have a, a, a big time career in the, in, in the big course. leagues. And for me, for me, it's, um, you know, it was a privilege to meet him and then kind of host him, you know, in our, in our own city. Yeah. Um, but the whole crux of this, the story was that at the airport, when I was leaving, he was kind of, you know, he was trying to repay me in some way. And a lot of, you know, professional sports is about, hey, that's who you know, and, and, and that's not how you and I operate. You know, we, we work for our opportunities and, yeah. you know, what will be, will be. And so at the airport, he says, listen, how about I set you up with, uh, you know, with the Pirates? Because that's the organization he was with. and. I yeah. said, thank you. You met me about five days ago. I would never <laughs> ask that of you. This was a, this was a fun ride. This yeah. was an absolute, absolute blast that I've had. It's a whirlwind experience, but I'll never ask that of you. Um, I'd love to, for us to stay in contact, but, but thank you. And anyway, he, he slept on this. He wasn't going to, going to rest on this. And, and he came up with a better idea. Um, and this is how I got to the States was he introduced me to his own trainer. So he yeah. worked with a, a guy by the name of Ben Fairchild who runs Fairchild Sports Performance in his hometown of Houston, where Mark was living at the time. Yeah. And um, Ben, um, I felt bad for Ben because no one's going to say no to Mark. <laughs> yeah. And so Ben, uh, so Ben reached out to me and he, he asked me to send the resume through, which I did. And then I felt so bad for this guy, like he's going to feel obligated to offer me something because he doesn't want to lose one of his best clients. Anyway, um, Ben... Ben actually wanted to hop on a Skype call as soon as possible. We did that. And uh, he offered me an internship. But uh, yeah. the spinoff was I would have to resign from my job. Yeah, I would have to leave my then wife at home, um, not earn any money because I wouldn't be allowed to earn any money based on the visa that I would have for the USA. Yeah, um, And then basically go and work for, for six months for, for, for free uh, to kind of dive into to baseball. But my ex-wife, to her credit, you know, she was so supportive in a, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll forever, you know, be thankful to her for this and, and the rest of our family yeah. um, was for allowing, allowing me to do that. Um, she, saw, she said that, you know, if I was going to go, if I wasn't going to go, it would be the biggest regret in my life. And so I went and uh, went over and did, uh, did the internship. And yeah. subsequently, that 2014 edition of the MLB camp, I wasn't considered for that because I wasn't in South Africa. <laughs> and so obviously I must've made some kind of an impression in 20, you know, 2010 through to 2013 that they missed somebody. And so 
when the 2014 edition came around, I wasn't invited because I'd kind of boycotted everybody and gone to the States. Yeah. Um, so when the 2015 edition came around in Cape Town, they invited me to be back in the fold again. And um, that's when that camp was run. I think it was the best run camp that we've had, not because I was involved again, but <laughs> yeah. we just got all our ducks. We got all our ducks in a row. Yeah. I was responsible for the medical team and I got some really, you know, some heavy eaters in, involved in, uh, you know, to be, to be part of that medical team. And um, by the end of that, I got offered a consultancy with MLB in December of 2015. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where it started for me in, at the end of 2015. Yeah. And, and that's the way it is still uh, to this day. Yeah. I mean, it's quite interesting. Uh, you know, these things just tend to, to happen. It's not something that you can plan. You know, it's not like you you highlight the camp on your calendar and you're like, okay, I'm going to target whichever player is going to be sent or, you know, it's not something that it just happened organically, which yeah. is fantastic. And it's obviously the challenge you had was, do you take up this opportunity to go to the States on an internship where you've been building your career, obviously at the, at the sports science Institute and taking that risk. I mean, that's something that not yeah. a lot of people would do. So looking back on it now, obviously, yeah. it's uh, it was the right decision. Um, but any advice you'd give to to somebody who, you know, has to decide what do I need to do to to pursue my goals like that? Do I take the risk, and how do I go about it? Yeah, look, I think that's a that's a that's a great point to to bring up because not everybody's going to have the balls to do that. Number one, and also not everyone's going to have the resources to be able to go out and do that. So. I'm not yeah. for one second saying and advocating for, you know, doing crazy things like giving up your job and, you know, leaving your family behind. Um, it's, it's a big sacrifice. Um, at the same time, um, you know, you got to follow your, follow your heart and follow your, follow your passion. Yeah. For me, I think it's living proof that, you know, a lot of things that have fallen into place after that as well. So it wasn't just as simple as getting on the plane and going. Um, yeah. But in terms of a growth opportunity, I was forced to grow there. Uh, for me, I would not take it back for a second, but if I'm advising someone, I would, I would just say, you know what, take a deep breath. Um, you know, sometimes things just align where, you know, the chips fall your way and, and, and you got to go and take something on, but really be very realistic about it. I think what's going to be of, you know, of utmost importance, um, is to be able to communicate with the, with the people, you know, closest to you, yeah. especially your family. And, if, you know, whether you involved in a relationship or whether you are, you know, have very supportive um, parents or siblings or even mentors, you know, like the situation like, you know, you and I had just yeah. to lean on those people and, you know, really just, you know, you can't go in there with a, you know, like it's, it's like swimming in the dark if you don't really have a plan or a structure of what you're looking to yeah, achieve. Yeah. You know, yeah. for me, I just saw it as a once in a career opportunity. Um, my family were fully supportive of the fact that, you know, I, it's, it's an opportunity that's not going to come around again, um, yeah. out of Africa, especially. And they backed me to go and, you know, to go and do that, which is, you know, something I'll be forever, I'll forever be grateful for. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta have a plan. You gotta have a plan in place. You know, I went over there, uh, with a blank kind of, a stack of books you know and i reset the entire wheel i went there as humble as can be with i think at the time 
six, seven years worth of postgraduate, post postgraduate experience yeah. going into and going in, in, into an internship with guys who are 18, 19, 20 years of age, um, you know, looking at you like you don't know anything. And I was completely okay with it. And yeah. not anybody has a thick skin. Not everybody has a thick skin like that to be like, hey, listen, I'm here to learn from you guys and I'm yeah. here to add value wherever I can. And so I think that's a big part of whatever you decide to do. Yeah. You know, it's being able to be humble enough to be like, you know what? I'm here to learn. Every day presents that opportunity to do so and improve myself. Um, and you know what? It will figure itself out as to whether that's for you or not. But I couldn't yeah. live my life. I couldn't live my life having turned that down. Um, and again, I obviously had to sacrifice a lot. And, you know, I paid a big price for, you know, some of the choices that I made. In terms yeah. of, you know, you miss birthdays, you miss family occasions. Yeah. You know, you just miss being around the, you know, the people that you know and love. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it doesn't matter where you come from, man. You can make it happen if you want it badly enough. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that that support system that you mentioned is extremely important. And obviously, after going to Houston for six months, your internship ended and you obviously couldn't stay on because of, of whatever the employment regulations were in the States at the time. And it's that same support system that accepted you back so on your return from uh, your internship uh, in Houston, you took up a position with the Sports Science Institute again, albeit in a different department. So what was that like transitioning from working day to day with uh, SNC needs of athletes, whereas now you have to transition to more of a mentorship role with the athletes that you're working with? In, in, in one sentence, man, hardest year of my life. Hardest year of my life. Um, Listen, the Institute, again, I'll be forever grateful to them for, you know, because when I, when I was in South Africa, there was no other place I wanted to be um, working or be at other than the Sports Science Institute. For me, it was the hardest thing to even walk away in the first place. I just figured that, hey, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to need to be okay with the fact that I might end my career at the Sports Science Institute. Yeah. Um, that's how much I love the place. Um, but at the end of the day, you know what? I, I wasn't the kind of guy, I'm a progressive thinker. And for me, I, I needed to continue moving forward. So coming back, um, I was open to it because I think everyone at the Institute was aware of the fact that, you know, it's a way back in, yeah. um, you know, good help is good help is hard to come by. I obviously had made an, uh, a decent enough uh, impression first time out, you know, I put in five or six years worth of blood, sweat and tears by, yeah. by the time I, I was going to return. And when I returned, um, I came into in a very different capacity, which was a lot like used yeah. um, because it challenged me outside of my comfort zone to go dive into an area that wasn't an area of expertise for me. Um, so coming back into that environment was, was tricky. Um, I was very much on the low. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's a roller coaster of emotions when you go from having six months of doing everything you've ever dreamed of doing uh, to coming back and returning into an environment where, okay, I'm back here now. Um, yeah. And this is with respect to the Institute. You know, I didn't ever see myself coming back. Um, but at the end of the day, the visa restrictions forced me to come home. Um, and I was grateful to have employment. And so for me, I was like, hey, I'm where I need to be right now. And I'm going to give this the best shot possible. Yeah. So I just saw it as an opportunity to learn and grow and um, you know, to, to use whatever experience I'd accumulated, both as a player and in sport at a high level and as well as a sports scientist who now work both locally and internationally to come and share that kind of experience with 
young athletes who were, you know, coming through the, the process and being able to relate to them and, and try and help them make the best possible decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this obviously um, high level of talent that they've been blessed with. So yeah. I was, I was grateful to be back. And I think it's all about attitude, really. I, I had a positive outlook on it. It was hard. It was very hard. It didn't last very long upon my return. I think it was 18 months in the job, but yeah. I, I gave it the best that I could. And, yeah. Um, I think it, uh, it's, it's led me to where I am today. Yeah, of course. I mean, just thinking about it, all your experiences, it, it seems to have prepared you very well for the role that you are currently in with MLB, where you mentioned earlier, you do things that, you know, you do things in the SNC area for the players, but at the same time, you're doing scouting, you're doing mentorship, you you know, supporting players on a day-to-day basis. I know you've told me before where you have to fly uh, to whichever camp it is in Europe or America or wherever, and you have to pick up players in different countries. And, you know, it's, it's things that people don't think about. Nothing that you study prepares you for having to, you know, look after athletes who are under 18, make sure they get onto a plane, make sure they reach home, you know, make sure that they've eaten properly. Those types of things that we learned as we, you know, progress through our careers and, yeah. and just doing the camps. That's the, the soft sure. skills that we picked up that nobody will teach you. I mean, no university course or any other course for that matter prepares you to, to drive a minivan or, or whatever the case is. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, it's all these experiences. And I think we've spoken uh, uh, quite a bit about the MLB side, uh, side of what you do. But as a, a biokineticist, uh, and for those who, who don't know what a biokineticist does, uh, obviously a lot of people will, aren't from South Africa listening to this, if you could just give a bit of an overview of what uh, Biokineticist does and just some of the work that you did in, in private practice up until now. Awesome. Yeah, sure. Um, Biokinetics is still relatively a, you know, a green profession in the sense, uh, in the broader spectrum of, you know, of sports science work. I think uh, we're now into, you know, second or third decade worth of, you know, the profession having been around but by definition it's uh you know we final phase exercise rehabilitation specialist in in short um making use of exercise uh, prescription as a means of therapy rather than coming into physical contact with someone like we would um you know have the often often have the misconception between a physio or physical therapist and a biokineticist yeah. what is the difference what's the difference between a personal trainer one of the fundamental differences is that you know we don't come into contact with the patient unless uh you know, it's, it's to help with some passive work, whether it be to, you know, to facilitate range of motion or stretching and those kind of things. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot of what obviously you and I have done in, in terms of biokinetics, because it's quite broad in terms of the scope. Uh, we've worked in the performance side of things where, you know, we help, you know, competitive athletes through, you know, often a crisis when it's an injury problem usually, or whether it's yeah. in terms of, you know, preparing for an event in terms of applying a periodization model. Um you know, beginning with the end in mind, um, having a date of when an event's going to take place and then working your way, reverse engineering yeah. that back to where you are at that point in time, whether that be through testing, evaluation, um, good programming. Um, aside from that, you know, it's managing chronic disease. I had the benefit of having some very good mentors in the fitness center as well, where I, you know, I yeah. kind of dived into one of the areas that was um, not really, uh, you know, my favorite and, and the area that I saw as a strong point, which is cardiac rehab. You know, we do a lot of management of chronic disease. Um, our, our societies live in this fast-paced life, which we've alluded to earlier. Um, 
a lot of processed food is very cheap. You know, sugar yeah. comes is easy to come by, and a lot of people struggle with metabolic disorders and you know issues with um, you know like diabetes and you know those kind of things. We we manage that on a day to day basis through good prescription. So for me, uh, just to fast forward again was. Sports Science Institute encompassed a lot of things because we were a one-stop shop, as you know. Yeah. We had different departments where you could kind of dive into, get your feet wet with, you know, being able to be involved in different areas. And that ticked a lot of boxes for me in terms of my biokinetics, you know, my growth as a biokineticist and working through and understanding of what the profession was about. But ultimately, um, by the end of my, you know, kind of my transition when I was moving more towards baseball, I needed yeah. to keep my practice number going because obviously – with overseas contracts, you get one year rolling deals. And I, I didn't, I couldn't afford to have my practice number lapsed. So I continued to practice. One of the things I had not done was work in private practice, which yeah. for a lot of people is, uh, you know, the sports science Institute, very much a commercial um, yeah. institution, you know, outsiders come in, they pay for a service. Uh, again, it was a one-stop shop. So you could come in and get all your needs taken care of in one place. But working in private practice, obviously, you attract a different type of clientele. It's usually a smaller base or, uh, you know, a place to be positioned. Um, someone who I'd also met at the Institute, who was an intern the year after I was, was Mitchell Heinen. Um, I worked for Mitchell in, at his private practice um, inside one of the Virgin um, franchise organizations in the southern suburbs of Cape Town. Spent um, some time there from the middle of 2017 up until about the middle of last year. Mm. Um Mitch gave me an opportunity to dive into private practice, albeit kind of like a mix between the commercial environment, which was familiar to me, but then diving into private practice, that's a different kettle of fish altogether. Um, yeah. A lot of differences come to the fore in the sense that it's a very sort of interpersonal, um, you know, relationships you develop. It's not about just, uh, you know, in and out. It's, it's usually a longer, longer term process that you, you know, you're dealing with um, the management of a case. Um, not always, but, um, Private practice allowed me to, you know, kind of get a different perspective altogether about how things, you know, work in that sector because you're yeah. dealing with your average Joes. You know, for yeah. us, we're used to working with athletes. So dealing with the average Joes, it's, it's people where you're like, man, this is like, this is hard because I'm not working towards necessarily a sports event. Uh, I'm working towards giving this person a shot at being able to live a full life. Yeah. Um, so that for me was, that for me was a different kind of challenge. Um, in private practice, I've since moved on to, you know, more of a kind of an upbeat side of, of private practice. And that's with respect, again, to where I was before. Yeah. As you know, in private practice, location is of utmost importance. One of the yeah. things I did was I was in a suburb um, where, you know, you would deal, you know, with service in the greater neighborhood that had access to that practice. Yeah. Now I've moved into the hub of the city. City life has never been something that has, you know, been, uh, you know, a area of comfort for me. So once again, diving headfirst into a, a different yeah. opportunity. So now I'm smack bang in the city uh, with two very familiar colleagues, one of whom I worked with at the Sports Science Institute in the fitness center, Fallon Hope. Yeah. She's currently, um, you know, finishing a medical degree. And then obviously one of our mentors in Graham Benz. Yeah. Um, from the high performance in today's um, so we've kind of gone full circle and have reunited to work in private practice now. So very different environment, but I yeah. kind of get the balance between doing private practice work in the morning. Um, very different clientele. Now, now I'm working with kind of younger yuppie type 
um, business yeah. execs uh, yeah. that want to come in, uh, get the get the job done, and get out of here. So, man, it's challenging. It's challenging yeah. every day. It's a different. It's a different uh, type of roller coaster. But uh, you know what? While we're young and naive enough to do it, why not? Yeah, exactly. I think there it's it's interesting that you mentioned you've gone full circle and and in a way your interactions and your relationships that you developed previously it just shows that by still working with those people or being given an opportunity that you made a good impression on those people and that they're willing to give you opportunities now because they know the type of work that you produce and the you know the level that you can work at so I think it's it's quite an achievement obviously for you to to have gone through that whole process and now everybody knows i mean you build your reputation that's what our industry is about it's reputation and people know you for a certain level of work which i think is something that you have to be commended for so well done on that and uh you know just looking at at the entire experience that you've described i think there's a lot of balance that that stands out there for me is that with your dream job, obviously, of working, you know, in professional baseball, you also balance that out by working in the private, um, you know, the private sector. And a lot of times in the sport industry, your dream job doesn't necessarily pay all the bills. And you have to be yeah. flexible in, in finding ways to be able to, you know, meet all your needs and still do the things that you love to do. But at the same time, you have to be realistic about your career and I think you found a nice medium and a nice balance uh, with that. So it's a good example for, for our listeners, obviously, to see that there are different ways to be successful. I mean, you know, not every path is linear and you're going to have to take risks Absolutely. and you're going to have to compromise and sacrifice um, from time to time. But at the end of the day, if you're sitting in that seat right now, I'm sure you're pretty happy with how far you've come and uh, quite excited for, for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for saying that, Z. Um, you know, when you look back and reflect, which I've been doing a lot of, obviously, during this lockdown, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by it, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud about, you know, what I've been able to achieve with very limited resources. Um, you know, the learnings for me, only starting now, um, I think I do come from a very solid base yeah. you know, to be able to continue and, and be able to sustain this moving forward, which is exciting. But if I can give anybody any kind of advice, it's to continue to keep moving forward. You know, the second yeah. you start trading with, uh, you know, I, I just found that, like you said, there's no, there's no, you know, one way to, there's not only one way to skin a cat, you know, there's yeah. different ways of getting to your, getting to your destination as long as you continue moving forward. So for me, it was, hey, how best can I make myself irreplaceable? Exactly. What skills, what skills can I acquire that's going to make me better at what I do down the line. And those are those intangibles, those things that, you know, you're not going to learn in a textbook. Those yeah. things that you're not going to learn at, uh, you know, in the, in between the lines of your college degree or, um, yeah. it's general, it's a, it's a combination of theoretical knowledge as well as just practical life skills. And so for me, you know, it's been a, it's been a fun ride, but if there's anything that's, you know what, every challenge that's in front of you gives you an opportunity to learn something different and, you know, Continually just challenge yourself by asking, you know, what can I bring to the table that's going to, you know, add value to the situation? And it's served me well so far. So touch wood, let's, let's yeah. hope that this, um, you know, continues into into the future. Yeah, definitely, man. That That's awesome. And I hope that obviously that, that people listening to this can take that away, that message that you gave now. It's very important to just look at how you can always be better, you know. 
before I let you go though, Chad, I'm just going to uh, go through a couple of things with you quickly. Nothing, nothing too <laughs> sure. serious. It's just uh, on a lighter note. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned your schooling, but we didn't hear where you went to school. But from what I know, you went to, to SP, so South Peninsula High School. Yeah. And uh, from what I've heard, apparently there's uh, somebody that you resemble who also went to SP. So uh, I believe you've been mistaken for Riyad Musa <laughs> a few times. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> apparently, apparently so. Listen, I, if I'm going to be compared to someone... I need uh, to yeah, I need to find that picture. Lot, I'm uh, sure there's a picture. You know, he's, he's done really he's done really well. <laughs> I need to find that picture, man. I don't know where it is. But yeah, I'm I, I, re- I remember that. Yeah, I think it was up on your <laughs> office door when you were working at uh, yeah, no, the Max done, Steel Maestros. Yeah, look, he he uh, we had a good laugh about that, but he um, I think he actually liked the post that you that you put out there. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go back really and well check the vault. So I'm I'm happy. <laughs> Uh, awesome okay so when you before you left for for the states you were a los angeles angels supporter okay or los angeles los angeles angels of whatever the team is called um they should just be called mike trout baseball club (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah so you were angel supporter before you left (laughs) on your return the city of houston had uh, had an effect on you and you became an astro supporter so, uh, how? What's your take on the cheating yeah. scandal that they've been embroiled in? Man, it hurts me every day. I think I lose a couple hours of sleep every night um, because you know I'm so engrossed in and and uh, involved in the game now. Yeah, that, you know it's part of my everyday life, and you know to be to have been so close to it. I've been to the stadium a number of times, and you know to kind of been um, exposed to that culture pre pre scandal culture was something that I was like, you know, blown away by. Yeah. And so a lot, a lot of people know this, but just a few years ago, if you haven't been following baseball, the Astros were terrible. You know, they were the worst team in baseball when I was there. I think for a couple of seasons in in a row, they lost over a hundred games and which was cool for me because that means that that meant the tickets were pretty cheap and I could go watch (laughs) as much games, as many games as I, as I could. Um, And so, you know, they were very bad. And then to see them flip that around with draft picks coming through and, you yeah. know, building an organization around a very small general manager, um, to see that turnaround was just like, man, this is it. This is, this is what we live for. You know, the purists, this is, this is what we live for. Yeah. And then I was actually in the States in 2017 um, at scout school um, at the time when the, when the Astros were playing your Love the Dodgers in the World yeah, Series, yeah. and you know, watching that, watching that live. Uh, thankfully, not having to get up at early hours in the morning, watching that live was, you know, was cool. It was a different kind of experience for me. And then you're thinking that you're watching something that's authentic. Yeah. Um, and then to to retrospectively find out that you know there's that whole the integrity of of how those games you know had been won is in in question. Uh, man, it breaks my heart every day. So for me, I, I, you know, this lockdown and this COVID-19 has almost kind of distracted us from, you know, the, the disappointment of what's happened with the Astros because we haven't yeah. had to watch them play every, every, every day. Exactly. Until baseball starts, I think we've kind of a little bit, you know, off the radar, but um, I don't know. How I haven't put on a single Astros 
piece of attire since then. <laughs> um, I'm not mad at the Astros. I'm not mad at baseball. I'm just I just don't know how I feel about it right now. So yeah. for me, I hope it's the uh, it's the only. I hope I hope it's just it's just one team that was affected by this in the sense that yeah. I don't mean the Dodgers. I'm meaning that I hope this hasn't been going on league wide. Um, and they were just the scapegoats for the, you know, having yeah. been caught for cheating um, because we love the game and we wanted to be honest and, yeah. you know, to be true. I think so. the, the integrity of baseball is a whole other discussion because there's lots of yeah. gray areas and there's been a couple of scandals in, in the past. You know, you had the steroid era and now you've got the analytics yeah. era and a lot of technology involved. So there's a, a gray area between what's allowed and, you know, what isn't and what falls yeah. within the spirit of the game. Like if you compare to cricket, yeah. like the man cad rule, it's a yeah. legal way of For dismissing sure. someone, but it goes against the spirit of the game. So very Absolutely. interesting debate uh, in baseball, obviously. Okay, so when you played baseball, you were a catcher. Again, I'm sure it's because you had yeah. the most kit as a catcher. That's why you chose that position. Uh, <laughs> you love your you hide my legs again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. as a catcher if you could pick one pitcher that you'd like to catch for would have had the opportunity to catch for who would that be and why man just i think it's it's pretty easy to answer that one right now it's the two-time you know the two-time reigning Cy Young award winner in the national league um jacob de grom okay um just this just this balance between you know, finesse, power, uh, poetry in motion, really, with his mechanics and just the un, uh, you know, this, this, this relentless competitive spirit that he has and the ability to just move the, move the ball around. It's like sorcery. Yeah. Um, and, you know, also at high velocity, it's just, uh, I, you know, I'd love to be, uh, I'd love to be behind the dish to, uh, to catch to Jacob. Yeah, sounds awesome. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't pick Mark there, but uh, let's hope he doesn't hold that against you. No, no, she, she won't. She won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one more for you before before I let you go. So in the background, I noticed a, a stack of books. I don't know if they're there just to, uh-huh. to give the image that you read or if you're actually <laughs> uh, reading anything over there. So any book recommendations that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, sure. Before I give you the recommendation, just a disclaimer. I do spend a lot of time on an airplane. Yeah. And so uh, I, I don't do well with it, with a little TV screen in front of you. I, it makes me dizzy for some reason. So, uh, you know, I, I would like to think I've gone, gone through most of those books and this stuff. Um, if there's a read that I would recommend, it's actually a series of books. Okay. Um, but if there's a read I would recommend, it would be um, effectively Training Camp. It's a book by John Gordon. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's had a few that have, have come out, but he kind of uses an analogy of a, um, a football team preparing for a season. So without giving too much away, he kind of just yeah. uses that, uh, the narrative of a, of a team preparing and, you know, how you can transform, you know, both sides of the ball, whether it be, you know, the on-field and off-field stuff by creating a culture and a buy-in. So that's, that's right up there as, as one of my recommended reads right now. Awesome. Chad, thanks, thanks for giving us uh, or sharing your time with us rather and, and giving us that, you know, look into how you got to where you are at the moment. And I think definitely I appreciate you sharing all that information and uh, I wish you all the best going forward, whatever it is that, uh, that lies in your path or whatever's coming next. I'm sure that you, you're going to be awesome at it and ace it 
And yeah, I look forward to having uh, more chats like this with you. So awesome. Thanks for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Z. Thanks for having me. And, and listen, seriously, I, I might have joked at the beginning, but I think this is your calling. Uh, <laughs> I wish you the best with this with this venture. You know, it's uh, it's not in our DNA to sit still and wait for things to happen. So really proud of what you're doing to keep it up and, uh, you know, keep keep chasing the dream. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And uh, speaking of chasing the dream, uh, I'm going to go on to Instagram live now because Wayne Lombard has a, a cool interview that I'm quite interested in catching. So I'll leave you to it. <laughs> Cheers, man. Awesome. Sounds good. Take it easy, man.